And here we go, here we go on this Monday for another all-new edition of Real Talk Memphis. I am your host, the humble one, Chip Washington. Glad to be with you on this day. Uh, We've been expecting rain all day, at least I have. And uh, so far, so good, so dry. Uh, And hopefully it will stay that way. Uh, Today is the first official day of summer, 21st day of June on this year. So it wasn't blistering hot today, but <clears throat> uh, it, it uh, felt nice and warm and comfortable. So how's everybody doing? You guys doing all right tonight? Hope everybody's doing good. Hope everybody's feeling good since the last time uh, we communicated with each other about seven days ago. We have a good show for you tonight um, as we try to do generally each and every week. But uh, before we get started... You might be asking yourself, well, Chip, how can we find this great piece of radio broadcasting? Well, I'm glad you asked. You can do it one of three ways. Uh, We are on live right now on 91.7 on your FM dial. And um, I'm I'm sorry, I was a bit distracted by by somebody outside our glass window. So you can catch us on 91.7 FM live, or you can go to the TuneIn app, T-U-N-E-I-N, put in W-Y-X-R in the search, and press play and you'll hear us crystal clearly. Or you can go to the website, wyxr.org. Now, before I get started uh, too deep into the show, y'all need to pray for me tonight. I'm not feeling well today. My, you know, my, my body is, 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 is trying to fight off germs and antibodies not related to COVID, by the way. I am fully vaccinated, so I'm good on that front. But you know, it's that you get a little cold every now and again. You're, a little, you're, a little, you're not feeling so good. So the throat is the throat is taking a beating tonight. But you know what? The great ones play hurt. So, uh, you know, we're here tonight. We're going to carry forth and we're going to carry on. Uh, we are going to have uh, a bit of a change in the show. Uh, Jason Farmer was set to join us tonight. He is the CEO of BLP Film Studios, Black Lens Productions. Um, he had uh, to cancel at the last minute uh, this evening uh, due to uh, unexpected circumstances. So we'll try to rebook him and get him back on the show. But in the meantime, and between time, you know, we talked uh, a lot about uh, the uh, COVID uh, situation in terms of the variant. The latest variant that is out is the Delta variant. It is 50% more contagious, more deadly. And it is starting to spread around this country. I heard earlier today that it is at about 19 percent nationwide. And, of course, the places that what aren't fully vaccinated are the ones who are going to be the most susceptible. So if you're listening to this show right now and you've not been vaccinated or have had one, you need to step it up and do the right thing for yourself and for your family and for your friends and those that love you dearly. Get Vaccinated. This uh, variant, I think we have, uh, what, 14? I want to say we have 14. I think we have 18 cases now here uh, in Shelby County. Uh, It is spreading very, very quickly nationwide. And it is a dangerous variant. So please take note of that and do what you need to do. Plenty of uh, testing available. Plenty of shots available out here. uh, So there's no 
excuse or problem or issue uh, other than you going and finding it, okay? So having said all that, Dr. Steve will be with us in the, the next few minutes. A little bit later on, we will have Barbara Farmer-Tobert and Aliette Drabeau. They are uh, the founders of, co-founders of, of a consulting uh, group uh, it is called uh, LACE, which stands for Law Enforcement and Community Enhancement Consultants. They will tell us exactly what that means and uh, how they work uh, to, con- uh, to uh, provide the connective tissue between law enforcement and the community in terms of um, how to keep us safe and some of the things uh, that we need to do in terms of an open conversation about things like that. And... Um, so those are my guests for right now. You know, you know me. I'm pretty good at the talk thing. So you know, we'll we'll, we'll vamp and we'll and we'll 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 get through all of this. But first things first. Uh, if you are uh, celebrating a birthday, an anniversary, or a special occasion, this segment is for you, Marquette. Hit it. Happy all right, it's birthday time, ladies and gentlemen. So we want to say happy birthday from Real Talk Memphis to Teresa Lucas celebrating today. Sharon Buffy Williams, happy birthday to you. Daryl Genius, it's your birthday. Chautauqua Robertson, Regina Quinn, Tara Smith, and a guy I have known for a very long time, but I'm the only one in ages. He just never seems to. Anyway, y'all know Leon, don't you? Leon Griffin Jr., Big Leon. It is his birthday on this 21st day of June. And the sax man, Mark Baker. Y'all know Mark. Been around town for a while. Great talent. Can play the heck out of that saxophone. He is celebrating a birthday as well. And I would be remiss if I did not wish probably the youngest member of the Real Talk Memphis family a happy birthday. His name is Vincent. His name is... uh, and he is three years old today. Not one, not two, but three. And he is the younger brother of Adam. So Vincent Paget, mom out here today, and his dad out here today, Melissa and Clark. And uh, I see Vincent running around enjoying himself. He was blowing out birthday cake earlier today. So happy birthday to you, my friend. Third birthday, three years old. So if you're celebrating a birthday, an anniversary, or as I said, a special occasion, congratulations to each and every one of you. Uh, before we get too deep into this, I uh, want to send out condolences. Uh, late this afternoon, we heard about the death of George Cates. George is a civil uh, leader um, here in the city of Memphis in uh, Shelby County. He was the founder of MAA. Uh, he uh, died in a single-engine plane crash earlier today uh, just outside of Jackson, Tennessee. So that uh, news uh, came through late this afternoon, the confirmation that Mr. George Cates, uh, who is uh, very big in the civic uh, uh, community here in Memphis, uh, succumbed to his injuries in terms of the plane crash earlier this morning uh, just outside of uh, Jackson, Tennessee. So condolences to his family, friends, and all those who knew him best. Uh, uh, God bless. So in some news and notes today, as I said earlier, today is the first official day of summer as we are buzzing through the month of June. And as I also stated, the uh, Delta variant is spreading faster in less vaccinated counties. 19% of the total population uh, has been infected nationwide. Uh, That's up from 10% last week. Uh, so again, you know, seriously, no joke. Uh, get vaccinated, uh, please. Uh, if you if you haven't, um, and Dr. Threlkel is going to talk about that in a few minutes, and basically he will say one of two things. He will say uh, something is going to happen. It's either you're going to be protected by being vaccinated, or you are going to get COVID. Those are your choices. So you either you know either pay me now or you can pay me later. All right. So serious note on that for real. Also, and speaking of uh, all things COVID and vaccinations and things like that, uh, the first lady of the United States, Jill Biden, uh, was in in the state where she will be tomorrow, as a matter of fact. She is going to be in Jackson, Mississippi, and she will also be 
in Nashville, Tennessee. That is tomorrow. She's going to visit COVID-19 vaccine sites and encourage people in all these communities to get vaccinated because, hey, you know, I want you here. I want you here, and I want you here healthy and upright and strong. Uh, In other national news, uh, did you hear about the fact that American Airlines has canceled hundreds and hundreds of flights the last two or three days? Why? Because the demand for flying is outweighing the number of people that they have to serve you. In other words, they don't have enough staff to handle the overwhelming amount of people who are starting to travel now. Now that they've lifted restrictions, people are traveling or starting to travel all over the country. And so that is a big, big deal. And so they have, for the third day in a row, canceled flights. And um, hopefully they can, I don't know, um, fix that, that problem um, and, 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 and go for there. Did y'all get the message from, from Dr. Steve about a passcode? Okay, they're working on it. Okay, I'm sorry. I was talking to my, I was talking to my crew here. Uh, so anyway, um, that's that, you know, and so now my question is, how many more airlines are going to have this same particular issue? Um, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't know. I mean, this is the first that we've heard of it from a personnel perspective. Now, I do know that TSA, the folks that are responsible for the security at the airports, are really struggling in terms of trying to hire people. They're trying to hire 6,000 people total within the next few months. I think they've gotten halfway through that total, but they're still trying to hire folks to do the security end of, of things. And, um, you know, we'll see how that plays out. So if you're looking for a job, and speaking of, uh, did you know that the unemployment benefits that the state has uh, been holding on to for the past, I don't know, several, several, several months is going to end in July, like July 3rd, uh, by the way. So if you uh, have been collecting unemployment, uh, that's about to end or the additional uh, $300 of unemployment. So a lot of folks still not working. Every street corner I pass has a sign out front that says, now hiring, now hiring, staff needed, apply now, the whole nine yards. And um, uh, so if you are unemployed and want to be gainfully employed, you should um, you should take advantage of the situation now in terms of the job market out here, okay? All right? It's going to end on July 3rd. I don't want you freaking out. Don't go crazy when it, when it happens because it's about to happen. Uh, the governor said no more of that. You know, it's time for Mrs. The Tennessee to open up and go back to work. You know, when we think of food and when we think of, you know, I don't know, just eating in general, which I, I tend to think about, you know, on occasion, um, many folks are switching gears and going away from the meat and going into the vegan uh, category. Surprisingly enough, there are a lot of people who are vegans in this town. And because of that, there are many different restaurants. I know there are food trucks that are vegan truck food trucks, and, 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 and there are a lot of vegan restaurants opening up in town, and I hear the food is very good. You notice I said I hear the food is very good? There's a reason for that. I just... <laughs> I just I got to have some meat every now and then. I'm just, that's just it, okay? Not ashamed to say it. Chicken leg, good every now and again. You know what I'm saying? Good steak. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, they had the Memphis Vegan Festival this weekend, and I'm told that hundreds of people attended and had a really, really good time. Speaking of, uh, we celebrated Juneteenth uh, for the first uh, time, you know, in you know nationwide all across the country. In Memphis, no uh, exception to that rule, uh, had, a, had some great uh, ceremonies all over town um, in, in terms of celebrating Juneteenth, which is, of course, the document that officially freed the slaves back in 1863, I believe it was. So um, some great celebrations this weekend, lots of folks out, weather was good, a little hot, weather was good. Folks had a good time from what I'm to understand and enjoyed themselves, so we prepare for next year. By the way, the 4th of July is what, two weeks from now? Something like that? Like two weeks from today, I think, right? The 5th? I think we celebrated the 5th? Yeah. Um, oh, and, 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 and while I'm staring at it, Marquette, you graduated when? Thursday? Ladies and gentlemen, you know, Marquette Walker is officially, officially a graduate of, of high school. He is 
on his way to Clark Atlanta University sometime in the fall. So congratulations, my friend. Good job. Nice job. Well done. You've done you've done your due diligence and now it is off to you know, work in school. And trust me, in a, in a few years, and it may not even be that long, you're going to see this boy on national television somewhere. I'm telling you right now, he, this kid has got some serious skills and talent. And, you know, but, but the true test of all of that will be when I call him and, and, and I try to reach him and, and, and he doesn't return my phone call. Then we all get in the car and go to Atlanta and finding him. I can, tell you, <laughs> I can tell you that right now. All right, so listen up. We are going to take our first break of the program, and I see him. Dr. Steve Threlkel is in the bullpen, ready to go. We are going to talk about COVID and this very dangerous variant, and Dr. T is not going to pull any punches because that's not the kind of guy he is. This is Real Talk Memphis. I am your host, Chip Washington. Happy to have you with us on this Monday. We will take a quick break, and we will be right back. You're listening to Real Talk with Chip Washington. If you're celebrating a birthday, anniversary, or special occasion, shoot him a note and he'll read it on the air. Get involved and tell somebody about Real Talk. We'll be right back. Thanks to the support of you, our listeners, WYXR's inaugural pledge drive was a resounding success. In addition to donations from the public, we are proud to thank our matching sponsors, including Sterling Building Specialists, Crosstown Dental, Involve Client Services, Grinder Tabor Grinder, Nexair, and Bible and Tired Record Company. We are grateful for your generosity and assistance in striving towards our goal. Like what you're hearing? WYXR is a listener-supported station. Help keep the sound of Memphis alive by donating at WYXR.org. Like what you're hearing? WYXR is a listener-supported station. Help keep the sound of Memphis alive by donating at WYXR.org. Are you interested in sponsoring the show and want to support WYXR at the same time? To find out how, email us at sponsorships at WYXR.org. Are you loving what you're hearing on WYXR? Well, we want to hear from you. Just give us a call at 901-460-3031 and leave us a 10 to 15 second message with your first name, maybe a specific show that you enjoy, or why you really love WYXR. We might just play it on the air. We can't wait to hear from you. Peace. Get Real Talk on the TuneIn mobile app under WYXR, and he's now streaming live on Facebook. And you can also catch a rebroadcast on YouTube. Just put WYXR in the search box and hit subscribe. Now back to more Real Talk with Chip Washington. And welcome back to Real Talk Memphis uh, with Chip on this Monday evening. Very happy to have you with us and very happy to have my first guest with us. We have been talking um, about uh, the new variant, of course, uh, even though the restrictions have been uh, loosened quite a bit and folks are trying to get back to a normal semblance of life and living. We have a variant that is out there that has started to gain the attention of, of folks all across this country, none more so than our own Dr. Steve Threlkel. He is an infectious disease specialist, the Baptist Medical Group. And uh, Dr. Steve, thank you for being once again on the show. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Chip. Always good to be with you. So, okay, so you and I have been talking kind of offline, but um, you've been pretty blunt. And I guess uh, for those who don't know and haven't really heard or paid much attention to it, Talk about this Delta variant, uh, its emanation, and why people like you and other folks in your field are so concerned. Well, I mean, it began so, a few months ago in India, seemingly, and it's just taking over the world as we expect. It's much like the UK variant did before. It's the faster horse, and it will win. It will take over because it's more efficient, and it's going to be the predominant variant here very quickly. It's just the way these things work. As I say, we saw it with the UK variant. It is more contagious, significantly so, 
Some say it's more virulent, more deadly, more dangerous. It's a little early to know that for sure. We thought that of the UK variant at first as well. It didn't really pan out. But in some studies in Scotland, it had twice the hospitalization rate of the UK, or now called the alpha variant. Um, so, so it's important. And one other kind of in interesting thing about it is that the vaccine, the RNA vaccines, weren't terribly effective if you only got one of them. Right. So it's going to really tell the difference whether you got one or two of the vaccines. So being fully vaccinated is going to be important. And we unfortunately live sort of in the epicenter of the poorest vaccine percentage in the country right now. So though it's not going to take over our hospitals again and make them overcrowded and in a dangerous situation, but there are going to be pockets of people who are infected and, and will die. And despite the country hopefully weathering it well itself, we could be in an area kind of, you know, Memphis is the center of West Tennessee, Eastern Arkansas, North Mississippi, and those right. are the places that haven't been vaccinated as much. So we could see an uptick for sure as this thing takes over, particularly into the cooler months. Speaking with Dr. Steve Threlkel, the infectious disease specialist, you have seen him, you know, countless times, uh, you know, every day on television talking about uh, uh, these variants and, and COVID. And, you know, w what you just said is should be really an attention getter. Of course, the first portion of that is if you are vaccinated with only one shot, uh, it's not effective apparently against this particular strain of variant about 30 percent or so. And you're right. We are in the belt of the country. This southeastern corner here um, is the lowest vaccinated part of the entire country. And I did hear that. I think I heard somewhere in England or Britain where literally it jumped percentage-wise 50% from one week to the next. So this really is something that, that, that bears some very serious attention, is it not? There's no question. As you say, it went from 30 to 90 percent effective uh, with the vaccine if you took the second dose. Right. But look, I mean, there are a lot of people here. Who, people say, well, you're doom and gloom. And, and no, we're in a pretty good shape overall nationally. But there are just a lot of people out there who still have left to get this. And make no mistake, these viruses are getting more and more and more contagious. So it is going to more efficiently hunt you if you are unprotected, i.e. unvaccinated. So it's never been more important to go ahead and get the vaccine now, because as I like to say, the that you were going to escape either vaccination or COVID back or a COVID infection, that zone is getting smaller and smaller, and you're less likely to do that. And if you don't get the vaccine, you're going to face the disease. And if you're unvaccinated, you're just as dangerous, or it's just as dangerous to you as it was a year ago. The, you know, and, and, and having said what you just said, in addition to that, of course, last year, and I would imagine it had a lot to do with. COVID um, uh, rearing its ugly head in terms of as we get into the fall months, generally considered flu season. Uh, I'm also to understand that the experts are predicting that this could be a pretty rough flu season as well. Uh, vaccinations notwithstanding. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, there's no question. A respiratory tract infections of all types plummeted last year with all the precautions that we were taking for COVID. Mm -hmm. So sure, if we stop those, those things are going to come back and then you could have this kind of this at least a local kind of rush of, of COVID again and a flu. You know, flu kills 30,000 people a year in the United States. I mean, we lost 600,000 from COVID. So it's, it's nothing quite like that by 20 fold. But you don't want them both because it's going to be hard to tell the difference. Uh, so, and, and interestingly, antibiotic use in general went down 70, 80 percent uh, as a result of all this. So, prescriptions that is in the outpatient. So, we don't want to deal with any of this stuff again. We're doing pretty well with vaccination, but locally we've got to do better. To, to there are going to be these pockets of people. We still people see people come in and die of this infection. We're tired of that. So we're not saying that it's going to hit everybody. If you've been vaccinated, you're probably pretty well protected. But we've got to bring more people into that fold. It's just there's no reason for us to sacrifice people to this thing because they haven't gotten the vaccine. We have seen, um, as you said, the numbers of vaccinated people uh, uh, has dropped off dramatically, not just here, but all over the country. There is just a, 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 a big time resistance to it. And I guess the question I have in the back of my head is, as, as we move forward uh, through the summer months and get into the fall, what happens with school? I mean, kids are going to be going back. There, there won't be really any, any, any of this, you know, sitting at home doing a remote thing. They, I think the plan is for all these kids to go back to face-to-face -to -face learning. Now, we have an issue that 12 to 17-year-olds now are eligible for the vaccine. 
Um, but the percentage of those individuals is low in terms of the vaccinations. And then what happens with the younger set? What's your thought process as we head closer to uh, the reinsertion of kids back in school? Well, I think there are a couple things. The youngest kids, we really haven't seen the data on that yet. So we got to know what those numbers are with safety and efficacy. So we don't really know. The good news is that those kids are very unlikely to get very sick from this. We do see it. We've had them in the ICU. They have the post-COVID multi-system inflammatory syndrome. So there are kids rarely that die of this, but it's very uncommon. There's no question. But with that spreading through the school population to a higher degree, uh, they're going to bring that home to parents who are unvaccinated right. or people who are not uh, able to get good immunity because of immunosuppression. And so, again, it's just going to be one of the ways that this thing hunts down people who are not protected. It's just going to help it spread more efficiently. And it's already, as I say, the fastest horse there is in this thing. So, you know, and having and having said that it, 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 about kids not necessarily getting as sick from this as our older folks, but they are spreaders and they can be spreaders. And you know how kids are. I mean, they, they don't, you know, they just, they, they're, they're being kids. And so, you know, as they commiserate with one another and they, and they bring that stuff home and a lot of the parents have yet to be vaccinated, would not allow their children to be vaccinated. And let me, I don't, I don't know if you even have a, a, a thought or an opinion on this, but, but why is it that all of a sudden it seems like, you know, everyone has just sort of shut down in terms of vaccinations and what could actually make us more protected when we're only like 40 percent now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Certainly some people just don't believe in it. Um, I think there's still a population out there that just hasn't bothered this sort of inertia. They, you know, you've got to take it to them sort of. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of that in healthcare in general. So I think we still need to really work hard to get it to people, local pharmacies. Primary care physicians are very, very important because uh, people trust those folks. Yeah. And if your primary care uh, physician or nurse practitioner tells you, look, here are the reasons to do it, we, we find a very high rate of success in, uh, in getting the vaccine to people. So we need to push it out to where they are. And, and I think that can gain us a lot more uh, people vaccinated. But there's still, as you say, a big, a big hill to climb, particularly in this part of the country. And, and, it, and it's just going to make a big difference in what we see come the winter months, to be sure. And again, it's, that's not being doom and gloom. We're protected if we're vaccinated uh, in the vast, vast, vast majority of people. But we need to look after those people who can't get successful vaccination because of their immunosuppression. And we need to talk to those people to make sure they have the facts. Because as I say, I mean, when I get five or 10 minutes to talk to somebody and really meet them where their concerns are, I have a pretty good rate of talking them into it because the data are so impressive mm -hmm. for the vaccine compared mm -hmm. to suffering through the illness. There's no question about that. I was going to ask you, you know, as, as, as a practicing physician, you know, you see patients, you know, a lot. And I'm sure you, and I know you and I have talked in the past and and you've had some die and, and, and had some get pretty, pretty sick. But when you do talk to these people, and I want to focus on the ones who are the negative, you know, who are the naysayers who are saying, no, 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 no matter what you say, I'm not going to do it. What where does that come from? I mean, are these I mean, I know that there are myths out there. People are saying if you do this, if it does that, if you take the shot, it'll, it'll affect you this kind of way. I mean, the ones who are telling, you no, what is the reason for that? Sometimes it's just fear of the unknown, and the vaccine seems to them to be more of the unknown than the actual illness, which I think exactly opposite. I mean, we've lost 600,000 people, not to mention the countless people with significant ongoing and lingering health problems. I mean, it's a big deal. Uh, and there's also this political part of it, which I, I mean, I fail, haven't helped me fail to understand, because I think we have to point out something. Both presidential candidates in 2020 claim credit for the vaccine. Now, we may not be able to, we will argue forever on who gets the most credit, but I think we pretty much can agree that they didn't get together and decide to put one over on the American people and then hug on it right. and then say, we're going to blame each other for this and, and, and run along now. Uh, we don't think that happens, but that's what would have had to have happened for this to be some sort of government control thing. So I think uh, you hope that we can sort of get that stuff across to people as well, as well as just the medical facts of it. Do you think that at any point, because this question is now starting to, to, to crop up, especially here. OK, we've we've released the hound, so to speak, and we've, we've lessened a lot of but there's basically really no restrictions. Um, if you, if you want to wear a mask, you know, that's your choice. A lot of places don't require it. Some recommend it, you know, and, and, and again, it's your choice. It's your call. It's your decision. But, um, you know, as we. I don't know. As 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 we as we move forward in this, I I, I can 
sense that there is uh, maybe questions about will we have to pause something? Will we have to reissue masks? Will we have to reissue restrictions? What I'm sure you're a forward thinker. So I mean, it's I mean I, I know and I know it's way way too early to have that conversation. But still, folks are thinking about it, are they not? No, no, I think you're exactly right. I think part of the problems we've had is that we didn't have conversations soon enough. So I agree with you. I think now is exactly the time to think about that. I think it's not going to happen for a couple of reasons. I mean, people are tired of this. And, yeah. and you, you, we've broken into two camps now. One camp that says, uh, I'm not going to worry about this. I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I don't believe it. I don't think this is a big deal. Now, you're right. I do see people die every week almost who have that opinion. And that's not many anymore, thankfully, but but there are some. And the other is the group of people who did go out and get vaccinated. And they're increasingly saying, you know what? They had their chance to get vaccinated. We're done with them. Uh, we're returning to normal life. And there are many people between those groups now. And that makes for a weird uh, political alliance, but it'd be very hard to enact any greater restrictions again, unless you saw something really terrible, like a variant come along that was resistant to all the vaccines previously. That's possible, but thankfully we haven't seen it yet. That would be the one terrible game changer, but barring something like that, um, there are just too many people protected now for I think us to go back to any sort of uh, larger scale restriction. So uh, having said that, and as we're rounding third and headed toward home here, um, clearly there is cause for concern. Clearly there is uh, something that is, this is something out here that is starting to gain momentum and getting a little attention. Hadn't gotten a lot yet. I'm, I'm sort of of the school that, you know, it takes an attention getter of a tragic magnitude in order to get people to stop and realize, hey, there's something going on here. And uh, I mean, do you see that as well in terms of, you know, what what I mean, what would have to happen in terms of, you know, really galvanizing people to say, hey, you, do you understand how serious this is now? Yeah, there's no question. But of course, with 600,000 dead, um, if, if you haven't understood it by now, I'm not sure exactly. It would have to be something beyond that, which you know, we certainly hope is not going to happen. Yeah. I am not a doom and gloomer. I think we're going to do better and better. The summer months are going to be pretty good. Um, and the people who are protected are indeed protected. Um, but I think in terms of the masks and so forth, I still see very rare people get sick, even though they're vaccinated. Um, and I think that has to do with the inoculum, how much is sprayed at you. People have really high volumes. And I've seen at least one person die in that situation who was vaccinated and with a normal immune system. So I still have a mask in my pocket. Yeah. If I'm sardined in with somebody in a, in a poor airflow place indoors, you know, I, I still might put it on as a totally protected person. But you hope we're not going to be able to see anything that's going to be just an, an earth mover like we saw last time. Um, but anybody that saw those people die uh, you know, and is not affected, I don't know what to say, but I can tell you this, that as healthcare workers, we still see people die and we're awfully tired of it. And we're not willing to sacrifice anybody. We want those pockets of people who are unprotected to get protected because there's really no reason not to at this point. And that's what we've got to get the message out. And we've got to get that vaccine close to them so they'll reach out and get it and not to have to go too much trouble. You said something very profound, and I want you to say it again to the listening audience before you leave. There are two choices uh, that we have, and those choices are? Well, you know, you're going to either get infected or you're going to get vaccinated. And we've always thought that, but these new variants are coming at us faster and more efficiently, and they're going to hunt you down if you're not protected. You may do fine when you get the infection, but enough people have died now where it's not a risk I'm willing to take with any of my loved ones or friends. Dr. Steve Threlkel, infectious disease specialist with Baptist Medical Group. Thank you, sir, for coming on the show. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for uh, giving us, and, or like as I like to say, dropping the knowledge. I really appreciate you. And I promise you, uh, I'll have you back if you want to come back. <laughs> Always good to be with you. Thank you for helping getting the word out. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Dr. Steve Threlkel, ladies and gentlemen, uh, was our first guest, and he broke it down pretty, uh, pretty adeptly. Uh, uh, Adam, um, um, pretty adeptly in terms of what what's out here, what we need to do, what has to happen, what you need to do, and it's a very simple uh, situation. It boils down to pay me now or pay me later. The choice is. Um, you know, you can you can you can you can get the shot and be protected or you can um, not get the shot and have some very serious complications, you know, um, on the back end of this thing. 
we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to shift gears and talk about uh, community engagement as pertains to law enforcement, how to keep you safe. We're going to talk to a couple of ladies who are very expert in this field and who will share some uh, information with you in terms of uh, some of the programmatics that they have and just what the initials L-A-C-E mean. This is Real Talk Memphis. I am your host, Chip. We are going to take our second break of the broadcast, and we will be right back. If you like Real Talk, here's a way you can get involved. Do you have a show topic idea or suggestion? Want to be considered a guest or have a guest idea? Then send Chip a message on his Real Talk show page and you can be a part of the Real Talk experience. So as he always says, go out and tell somebody. We'll be right back. Hey Memphis, my name is Ron Buck. I am looking forward to bringing you my show, Riverside, every Friday from 1 to 2 p.m. I will be playing rock and blues, old and new, and featuring Memphis music and events. I hope you'll tune in to Riverside every Friday at 1 p.m. on WYXR 91.7 FM, Raised by Sound. This is Janet, host of Jaunt with Janet, Wednesdays from 4 to 6 p.m., bringing you new releases in the rock, pop, and electronic genres with a little bit of the old fused in, all here on WYXR Memphis 91.7 FM. Yo, what up, what up, what up? It is the president of Driven Type T. And you're now tuned in to Memphis's own WYXR 91.7 FM. The station with the city soul, man. Come on, you know what it is. <laughs> Remember, never stop. Stay driven. This is Bishop Phoebe Rofe of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. Tune in every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. at WYXR 91.7 FM to hear conversations with community leaders about the role of faith in their lives. That's Faithfully Memphis right here on WYXR FM. This is Zach Ives. My show, A Box of Records, plays every Tuesday night, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., right here on WYXR 91.7 FM, Memphis, Tennessee. You're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM, Memphis. This is Nancy, and I hope you'll join me on a musical journey from 2 to 4 p.m. Mondays with Memphis Undercover. Get Real Talk on the TuneIn mobile app under WYXR, and he's now streaming live on Facebook. And you can also catch a rebroadcast on YouTube. Just put WYXR in the search box and hit subscribe. Now back to more Real Talk with Chip Washington. And welcome back to Real Talk Memphis on this Monday, June 21st. I am your humble host, Chip Washington. Very happy to have you along for the ride. I hope you heard that first interview. And by the way, if you miss any part of this broadcast tonight, we are a podcast. So once it's posted sometime late tomorrow morning, 
early afternoon. You can hear this broadcast wherever it is you get your podcast. I like saying that. Anyway, uh, we are going to um, move forward here uh, in the big broadcast. And um, there are a lot of issues in our city, and there are a lot of challenges that people face uh, in our city on a daily basis. Uh, The uh, young ladies that I am about to uh, uh, introduce uh, here in a minute um, have uh, really dedicated their life uh, to law enforcement and to safety and to the safety of others. And they're going to tell us, uh, they are consultants, and they're going to tell us about uh, a particular uh, program that they founded and created and that they are um, uh, exposing all of us here in Memphis and Shelby County to called LACE, which is Law Enforcement and Community Enhancement. Uh, we have Barbara Farber-Tobert with us and Aliette Murray-Drabeau. And uh, Barbara, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Well, thank you first and foremost for coming on the show. Uh, full disclosure, she and I used to work together at Shelby County Sheriff's Office. I've known her for a long time, and I told her during the break, I don't know what the heck happened on my side of the, the age line because I look like a little old man. She looks like she's getting younger and younger uh, every time I see you. But it's very good, nice to see you, my friend. Good to see you again. Great. It's good to see you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Okay. So uh, talk to us a little bit about LACE and what law enforcement and community enhancement, uh, as you two are consultants, is all about. And first things first, what made you decide to to uh, develop this particular uh, uh, company or, you know, program? Actually, about a year ago, I left the sheriff's office. I was a special victims unit detective. Also, before that, I was a detective in domestic assault. And prior to that, I was a detective in internal affairs. Yeah. So I had a pretty you know, panoramic view of the detective division for Shelby County. And Aliette Murray-Drobalt, she left about a year ago. And we didn't know that each other had left our positions. And so she left the Family Safety Center as the executive director. So we had a conversation and we talked. And so she was talking about her side as dealing with victims after they have had contact with law enforcement. And I had a different view of dealing with them firsthand coming in as a victim. And she had the journey when they would go from victim to survivor. So as we began to talk, we realized that between the both of us, we had about 35 years dealing with victims, whether on the law enforcement side or all yet victim to survivor side. And we said, what can we do with this? And we got together and we came up with the concept of LACE. And right in the middle of this pandemic, and especially what has happened when we, you know, the world got to see George Floyd happen in basically in real time. And not that it had never happened before, but at that particular time when it happened with Mr. Floyd, the entire world had eyes on it. Right. And so we called it LACE, Law Enforcement and Community Enhancement, because we said the world has seen enough of engagement. Now, what can we do to reconnect community and law enforcement? So having said what you just said and explained uh, the, the, the foundation of uh, the, 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 the company and the organization, how do you go about setting that course? How do you go about, um, you know, connecting uh, the dots, so to speak, you know, from, from law enforcement, uh, you know, to victim to survivor? We have a conversation. We set the platform with law enforcement first because Aliette and I had so many relationships within that platform with the AG's office, with you know district attorneys, with attorneys, and also with law enforcement, whether it's the chief of police or the director of police uh, departments. So we already had those relationships. And so we had to start having those conversations of what can we do in order to connect? Because one thing about the public, they may have one view of what they think law enforcement is, just like we heard the term defund the police. Right. In the real world, there's no way we could not have law enforcement. If the world is in the state that is in now with law enforcement in place, there is absolutely no way we cannot have law enforcement. So we figure out ways, how do we you know, bridge that gap that seems to have been broken? And we go in and have these conversations because it sounds different when I go into a room and talk with police officers, having been an officer myself. It's different when they hear it from Elliot Murray Drobot because a lot of those officers, especially the officers who work within domestic assault units, 
everyone knows Alia Murray Drobot. You drop that name and they're like, oh yeah, she's the Family Safety Center Executive Director. Exactly. So we were able to walk into those rooms and get a different response than someone who's just walking in as general public. We're speaking with uh, Barbara Farber, Farmer Tolbert and Aliette Murray-Drabeau, um, founders of LACE, which is Law Enforcement and Community Enhancement Consultants. And, um, you know, you talked about COVID, and, of course, you know, th that has changed lives forever. And quite honestly, it exacerbated uh, a lot of the issues that you just spoke to a few minutes ago um, you know, in particular, when folks were out of work and, you know, nothing was, was going on and, and, and there was a lot of pressure in households of, you know, how to make it, what do we need to do? And there was a lot of stress. And that's on the back end of that stress. Um, there was a lot of, you know, violent episodes and, and we saw the numbers go up exponentially. Um, where are we at now with that? And as you continue your conversations with the community at large, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? And, you know, where are we headed? I'll let Elliot speak on that. Hey, Elliot, how are you? Hey, how are you? I'm doing great, great. Thank, thanks for being part of the conversation. Well, and well, part of the, the work that I, I'm, I'm doing now, as uh, Barbara mentioned, both of us have been doing consulting work for about a year now. And I, I, I've been doing work with nonprofit organizations, um, advocacy organizations that are working very closely with folks who are dealing with uh, trauma. Uh, you mentioned uh, some of that has been around violence and the numbers, that, as you mentioned, have gone up drastically. That has created um, a lot more demand on organizations with very limited resources, mm -hmm. which is one reason why I was very interested in um, Barbara and I working together because um, I've just seen the stress on organizations as they work with families who are going to experience quite a bit. Some of that is due to COVID. Also, some of that is due to folks lost their jobs. Yeah. They created additional stress on those, you know, families that were already living on the edge. Yes. And so uh, for many, um, even for some of those organizations have lost some trust in law enforcement. Uh, because of, you know, again, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and some of the other things, right? And sometimes families who need to call law, call law enforcement don't feel comfortable calling law, law enforcement. So again, Barbara and I wanted to be a part of that solution and helping to uh, rebuild those relationships and those connections because sometimes folks really do need to call law enforcement because their lives are in danger. And we wanna make sure they feel comfortable enough to do so. And we also wanna make sure those organizations that are working closely with those families also have those relationships as well. We just, we thought we had the experience, we had the knowledge to help with that. I will tell you, it's still quite difficult now. Mm -hmm. um, those needs have not gone away. Uh, again, a lot of those organizations are still involved with those families and are looking for additional resources. Although we are seeing some um, positive uh, positive things, for instance, I think it was Shelby County Commission just um, uh, raised some additional money to provide some additional support for mental health services for young people, and that will go a long way. So, you know, and, and, and this is for either one of you. And again, uh, we are, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Barbara Farber Tolbert and Aliette Murray Drabeau, uh, who are the founders of Law Enforcement and Community Enhancement, also known as LACE. You talked uh, about uh, the fact that there are still great challenges out here, and that trust issue that you spoke of, uh, Aliette, in particular. It's probably one of the biggest hurdles, I would imagine, for either of you to have to jump to try to foster a sense of, well, you can trust again. You know what I mean? We have to try to mend this broken relationship uh, that has been broken, you know, in many instances that you named earlier, uh, not only across the country, but even here. We have a new police chief. She is the first female police chief in the history of, of, of the Memphis Police Department. So how are you what kind of approach are you taking uh, with not only law enforcement but the community to try to help mend these fences if you will right and 
Go ahead. Yeah. I'll, I'll speak a little bit to, to that. Uh, I, I've been involved with a, a lot of advocacy organizations and nonprofit organizations for years now, and I'm still in conversation with uh, a lo lots of them. I will tell you this, although, you know, there are trust issues there. Folks um, feel very strongly, though, about their neighborhoods. Uh, they feel strongly about the safety of neighbors. And so I think what you'll find is folks want to be at the table. You know, they want to be at the table when it comes to helping to develop uh, solutions. Uh, yeah, there are some folks that's like, look, I don't want anything to do with law enforcement. However, majority of folks are still hopeful and they want that relationship with law enforcement. What they're looking for is transparency. Mm -hmm. What they're looking for is openness. What they're looking for is to be at the table and want to feel like they're in partnership with law enforcement with keeping uh, their neighborhoods uh, safe. So I think there's a lot of room there to for growth and to rebuild those relationships because I, I feel like the, the the desire is is there. And I think with law enforcement, I, I, I think they're struggling too to figure out, you know, how to make it happen. And, and we want to make it happen. I think we both have the relationships and trust on both sides of law enforcement and with community members to help with this relationship and and having said that barbara i want to i want to ask you because you 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 bring the law enforcement perspective to this uh from your uh background and great experience if you had a chance to sit down with the new police chief um what would you tell her i mean what would you say in terms of what is the inherent she's walking into something she's coming from another state and another municipality i mean what would you tell her uh, needed to be addressed um, most pressingly from the law enforcement perspective side? Well, fortunately, Aliette and I had the opportunity to host LACE at New Hope Missionary Baptist Church on Everest Presser with Pastor Matthews about a week ago. And the conversation came up about COAC units. And the community felt strongly that we needed to reenact the COAC units where officers were in the community. They had relationships with the community. They knew people by name within those communities. They knew because every community has that person, you know, that person that everyone in the community respects. So COAC was able to have those relationships. So the question came up about what happened to the COACs? Why can we not have them? So Aliette and I, we do plan to sit down and have a meeting with our new chief. We would love to speak with her. And those would be one of the things that we would definitely like to ask her about because we do know that we do have Memphis Police Department and the Shelby County Sheriff's Office. However, the Memphis Police Department does have jurisdiction over more of what I would say people of color neighborhoods and Shelby County does as well, but not as many, but we need to have that conversation. So that would be one of the things that I would speak to her about of how we could address COACs being re-implemented. Ali had mentioned uh, a minute ago, uh, there is a transparency and a trust issue. That is a, that is very big. I mean, very big. And so what do we do to break down those barriers, Barbara? What do we do? Or either, either of you can respond. I mean, how do we break down those, those barriers? Because they are very real and people are angry. I mean, there is a, there is a, there is a tension out here. Uh, and it has a lot to do with mistrust and not being able to hear the entire story and not being able to, as Ali had said a few minutes ago, uh, be around the table when uh, substantive discussions are being held. How do, we, how, how do we get past that? First of all, with LACE, we create these conversations when they come into the room and they speak with Aliette and I when there are rooms that are created where there are no law enforcement officers in the room and they feel as though they have a voice. They can speak their mind. They can say what they want to say and not feel like they'll, they'll have any kind of backlash behind that because people really believe if I say something against law enforcement, then law enforcement are going to, you know, they're going to look up my information and they're going to hunt me down and they're going to make sure they're going to see me pulling out my driveway and they're going to stop me. They're going to frisk me. They're going to search my car. So people really feel that way. So that way, Aliette and I, we de developed these relationships with them and said, let Aliette be the voice. Let Barbara be the voice. And we walk these questions in to these different police departments because understand we don't work just with the lo local law enforcement. We work, we work with the police department in Chicago and Los Angeles, wherever you know, whoever wants us to come in and create these conversations, 
So this is the thing, like I say, it's not just a local thing. This is a nationwide, you know, thing that about trust because it has to be reestablished. And I think Alia can speak some more on that because again, she had the victim to survivor type conversations where I had, because I was behind the badge, I was law enforcement. So they hear it differently from me now that I am, you know, former law enforcement and no longer a part of law enforcement. Alia? Alia, speak to that if you will. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sure, sure. I think there's just some fundamental things when it comes to to building trust and relationships is one, do what you say you're going to do. You know, again, that's one quick way to build trust, right? If you say you're going to do something, do it. And when, you know, sometimes mistakes are going to happen. Some things there, sometimes there are going to be some breakdowns, but just being open and honest about it and then, and then addressing it and being, and I, and I, and I think that's what community members want to hear and what we're hearing, you know, just, you know, be straight forward about it. If mistakes happen, right? Um, and folks want that open transparency and they want to feel like they're being at the table. Again, uh, when we hear from community members, they want to be a part of keeping their neighborhoods safe. Right. You know, and, and, and so there's a lot to bring from the law enforcement side, but there's also a lot to bring from the, the neighborhood side and community uh, members and advocacy organizations as well. So again, again, having that voice and being at the table and having open, honest conversations helps to build that trust. And so that's what we're we're hoping to do. So bef- and I also want to say this. I'm sorry, Chair. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead, Barbara. I also want to say we will, we're willing to come out to your to your church. We'll come out to your community center, wherever. You just send us an email, your questions to tobertdrobalconsultants at gmail.com. And um, we'll be happy to meet with you. See, you see, you, see, you didn't tell me you were in the reading minds because I was just getting ready to say, can let people know how they can reach out and contact you to to come and facilitate these conversations and, and open these doors. But uh, I have to say that, um, you know, you you you're both you both bring a wealth of experience um, to this particular uh, venture that you uh, have engaged in. It's tough. It's going to be tough sledding. This is a tough. This is a tough pull here. But uh, I want to congratulate you both. You know, on lace. And again, if folks want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? They can contact us at Tobert Drobalt. That's T O L B E R T Drobalt D R O B O T consultants at gmail.com. Barbara Farmer-Tolbert, Aliette Drabot, I really appreciate you both for taking the time out of your schedules to be with us and visit with our Real Talk Memphis audience, and you are welcome back anytime. Thank you both very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Thank you. All right, you all have a great night. You too, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, um, you, you heard from um, two experts in in this very difficult and frustrating field. Um, And, you know, there are conversations that need to be had. We need to stop being angry and we need to open up and talk to each other. And we need to talk about what's on our mind. And in order for us to be able to move forward, those are the type of things that we need to do. This has been a a good show tonight. I hope that you enjoyed it as as well. you know, each and every week, uh, I, I say this and I mean it. Thank you for um, those of you who have found us and those of you who, uh, you know, have uh, started to listen uh, to what we're trying to do here. This is a Memphis-based show. We live in Memphis. We work in Memphis. You know, this is this is where we hang out. This is what we do. So the, the issues and the concerns and the areas that we focus on are driven by the fact that we live here in Memphis, Tennessee. However, uh, many of the issues that we talk about uh, go across geographical lines. So, you know, we're going to continue to develop the conversation. It is always going to be homegrown and based in this Marquette plays us out of here. Uh, I want to say thank you again for uh, taking an hour of your time. And I also want to thank DJ Lola, uh, who, 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 who was trying to impress me enough to be a part of my production team here uh, and I really appreciate her work on this particular episode and thank you and uh, you know we may expand that a little bit you never can tell um, as Adam and Marquette you know slowly march their way out I didn't let them go yet uh, but in, in, in any event uh, thank you and if the Lord says so we'll be back here same time same station 
And uh, we'll try to do it all over again. But when we do, we'll try to do it just a little bit better. So for all of us here at Real Talk Memphis, I'm Chip. And I'm out. It's real talk.